everyone, and welcome back to another episode of In Our 1990s, the podcast where your two hosts are ranking all of the alternative albums from the 1990s. And we are recording early this week, so we're probably both going to be drowsy and, and not terribly insightful. <laughs> Hope that's all right on this here podcast about trying to provide insightful criticism. Um, I'm your host, Natalie. And as always, I'm joined by uh, my co-host, Hadrian. How are you doing, Hadrian? I'm, I'm a bit groggy. Just just made some, some miso butter, not eggs, and I'm feeling pretty great. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely... Uh... I could have gotten more sleep last night. I got real into uh, <laughs> trying to get through the story mode of Tetris Battle Gaiden and was up until like two in the morning. I was up till three and was playing Overwatch, so. And I could have kept going, but I was like, it's 2 a.m. I really need to force myself to go to sleep. Yeah, you know, I, I put on a movie. I watched uh, Blythe Spirit, uh, the Noel Coward uh, film that's being remade this year mm-hmm. um but this was the original had rex harrison in it a, like young super attractive rex harrison you're just like damn uh so 1945 rex harrison look him up jesus <laughs> i'm pretty sure my sister was in a production of blythe spirit when she was an undergrad drama major it is a very good play noel coward has like a a very prominent influence on my ability to write so <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, let's get right into what we're talking about this week. And we are going to kick it off with your pick for the week, which is Very by the Pet Shop Boys from 1993. Uh, 93? I thought it was 94. It might have come out here in 94, but yeah, originally released in 93. Yeah. Disco 2 was 94. <laughs> anyway, uh, so this is the infamous coming out album for the Pet Shop Boys. Long before this, uh, the singer for the Pet Shop Boys, uh, Neil Tennant, was like, I thought everyone fucking knew that I was gay. Gays. And to be fair, anyone who knew what a gay person was did know. Oh, yeah. But but this this album is explicit. And it's just like, oh, you don't believe me? Oh, you didn't think that I was gay? Let me have, let me do a, get an all men's choir to sing Go West. Yeah, let's just cover a, a village people song. <laughs> Just did that. That really set. It's that. It's the the last song on the album, I believe. And yes. uh, but somehow that just sums up everything he was trying to do. If you didn't get it by the beginning of "Can You Forgive Her," which I have mixed feelings about its its actual intention, even though I through the lens of what he was trying to do with the album, I get more of an impression of it. But I, I kind of take that song as a. So someone who is on a on a queer spectrum who cannot perform uh, perfunctory types of masculinity uh, that is being pigeonholed into a certain queer uh, label that's not exactly fitting. But I think what he intended that song to be was, no, you're gay as shit. You should probably just uh, accept that. Yeah, I think that uh, song, um, I kind of want to circle back in a second and talk about a little bit about the history of this um but like i i feel like that song has a double meaning of on the one hand being you know the surface level meaning of this this gay this closeted gay man who's in a relationship with a woman who is, has a tendency to berate him for not being masculine enough and and it's you know it it, it gets very explicit in, in you know i i don't really feel like this the main character and or the object of the song is is like bisexual because it's like remember when you were more easily led behind the cricket pavilion and the bicycle shed and and you know dreams about 
youthful follies and changing teams. It seems pretty clear what the intention is, and, and that's obviously the surface meaning, but I think there's also a deeper meaning of Neil Tennant kind of taking his own lumps for not coming out sooner, maybe? Because I feel like, in, especially in the early 90s, when, like, when conservative politicians were so vilifying gay people and so tying the AIDS epidemic to, to gay men specifically, um, there was this feeling of like for gay people, gay celebrities that they were sort of like beating themselves up for being cowards if they didn't come out. Yeah. And I think this also tackles not directly, but some of the spirit of his prior career, uh, uh prior to starting the Pet Shop Boys, uh, Tennant actually worked as a censor for comic books. So, like, he was involved in the, you know, the stripping out of any unwanted materials in imported comics. And, like, I think that's definitely colors some of his, the way that, like, the Pet Shop Boys sound is, like, especially his lyrics, that he is coming up against that censor a lot. Uh, not super like explicitly but like he's he's intentionally taking stances that he know that could have been more easily censored in the past and i've, I've always gotten that feel from this, and this album in particular yeah and and i think that like it, it starts the album on kind, kind of a down note of you know because ultimately the song is about you know can you forgive her do you want revenge and how like that's childish if you want revenge like you just you were you were the one being a coward now move on i mean it's it's a pretty harsh song really it's, yeah. i mean it can be kind of like i kind of thought it was funny the first time i heard it but like you know after the more i listen to it it's like a really like brutal song um but then it's followed immediately by i wouldn't normally do this kind of thing which is like the euphoria of coming out and getting to be yourself mm-hmm and finally getting to live this life you wanted to live and like though that pairing works incredibly well yeah this is this whole album kind of like tracks a if you want to say it's like almost about one character following through their like stages of being out yeah because the third song is called liberation (laughs) which you know how much heavy how much more heavy-handed can you get with your coming out not even an allegory just your your you're coming out celebration here. My favorite, my, my, I think my favorite though is that by the time you get to song six, yesterday when I was mad, it just become okay. Now I'm out. I've experienced all of this like culture, and now I'm in a relationship where I'm mad as fuck. <laughs> and it was like, hmm, welcome to gay culture. You've just circled back. <laughs> You've gone through the the stages of of gay culture. I don't know, you know, like the stages of grief, but the. The stages of coming out as a gay man. And a, f- a particularly famous one, because that's definitely what that's supposed to be. It's just like being queer in the public eye. And so it's like you're a, a subject of fascination and gossip. And that's what that song is very much just like. We have to keep putting on a show, even though I'm really fucking mad at you. And like, that's I, I really like that song. Yeah. So okay. So I said I wanted to to circle back a little bit. So I so something I didn't know is that Behavior, the previous album to this one, which is my favorite Pet Shop Boys album, and is considered these days like a classic. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's critically beloved. It's now. a very good album. Um, 
And it was apparently a complete commercial flop to the point that people were like speculating if they were going to break up. Which I had no idea that it was, I mean, because even in its time, it was critically, maybe not as beloved as it is now, but I mean, it was definitely a critical success, but just did not sell at all, especially in England where they were used to, you know, having hits, just produce no hits. So I think the highest charting track was like 45 in the UK charts. Yeah, and that's definitely, that, that album we will talk about in, in depth at some point. Uh, but it was a kind of a departure from the more clubby music they had been doing. Yeah, I mean, it was it, ironically for a band that has an album called Introspective, it was more introspective and less <laughs> of. I mean, like there really we, aren't like club bangers on that album. And I, I kind of didn't do that album first because, I, I mean, I know our our show is deeply tied to that album, but I was wanting yes. to build up to it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I had been I had been putting it back until we kind of reached a point where we hadn't put anything in the top five for a while, because that's going to be a conversation about that album, because that, that album is, it's kind of like a, like how when we did the philosophy of Momus, I was talking about like how personal it is to me. The behavior is, is very similar. Like I have really strong, I mean, I think objectively it's great in, in their best album and their best songwriting, but also like I have a real like sentimental tie to that album as well um for reasons we'll get into when we talk about it eventually yeah um but i wanted you to be able to pick that one this yeah. is this is my favorite Pet Shop Boys album yeah and it's it's a very good one um so so it, part of it being their like comeback album after the major flop that behavior was it, it, like chris lowe who does most of the music for the pet shop boys um had kind of said like we should we should just use behavior as a tax write-off and start over <laughs> and so there was this conscious like we're gonna write hits and we're gonna write like dance like dance club smashes for this album which is what they're good at i mean like that was what yeah i so i mean again though like you get to the third song in this album liberation which sounds probably the most like behavior of it you know it's like mid-tempo kind of kind of funky but not like you're, you're not gonna get up and shake your ass to it a lot of like strings and and wah-wah guitars and like it's just kind of a chill song and it's like maybe my favorite song on the album <laughs> like i just really really love that style when it, whenever they bust out the waka chawaka guitars and the kind of like mid-tempo funky beats yeah and that's, that's something that I feel throughout their careers, the Pet Shop Boys are so good at making songs just sound effervescent in ways that, like, are, it's it's hard to describe. It's like domino dancing. It's like that song is just, like, also one of those very, like, it, it's a completely different instrumentation, but it is so light in your mind. Like, you get the idea of being in, like, airy... Uh, buildings in barcelona you know yeah and it's funny because that song was inspired by a 80s pop group called expose that i doubt anyone listening to this remembers <laughs> actually if you're listening to this you might have that kind of just like pop culture detritus brain that we have but like but like nobody remembers expose and yeah. like way more people remember domino dancing than the group that inspired it uh i, w I want to give uh the theater of uh, 
a, a an honorable mention in this in this talk because the way that he, that he says theater in yeah. that song is just my entire existence. It's so posh. It's it yes, and, and it's which like, is funny because it's from the perspective of somebody who is decidedly not posh. Yes, <laughs> and that, that song is. Uh, he's, I think, top tier lyricist. Honestly, like just. As far as, like, sardonic British pop songwriters go, yeah. I mean, he's probably, you know, at one point was the best in the world. I, I, I'm i not as... Pet Shop Boys are weird, weirdly hit and miss these days. Now, they're most, one of their more recent songs, What Are We Gonna Do About the Rich? Fucking banger. Everything else on that album? Not good. <laughs> like, it's... I don't get it. It's... They, they have, like, the one club hit. Whenever... That's it. Now, whenever they decide, we're gonna do a club hit. And what are we going to do about the rich was designed to go into every gay club in the world. Be like, what the fuck are we going to do about the rich, y'all? And <laughs> only not y'all, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because they're British. Yes. <laughs> but it's it's very much intended to... And I've, I've noticed the more, over time, more of the, the club hit songs, he they put a political message or something poignant in that song. And I appreciate that. Yeah, so the theater to me is like them, you know, if most of the album is like we want to get back to like the club smashes that we did like like right before behavior um stuff that was trying to, you know, like suburbia or oh, or yes. that kind of that kind of era I think that yeah, uh the theater is like their attempt to new, make a new it's a sin. Yes. Um, and I don't, I mean, It's a Sin is obviously, like, a huge, huge classic, and, and it's kind of, like, blasphemous to say that something is better than It's a Sin, but I don't think that this is better than, <laughs> or as good as It's a Sin. Like, no. I used, the first time I heard, the first time I listened to this album, I was like, oh, the theater is, like, far and away the best song on the album, and the more I listened to it, the more I felt like it's not that substantial. Like it's very dramatic in in the way that it's a sin or left to my own devices are yeah um but just not as substantial definitely not as substantial as it's a sin which was you know if you could listen to that song and and not know that Neil Tennant was was gay like yeah like <laughs> the, even like the 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 explosions in the background I was like it's a it's a it's a sin everything like, I long <laughs> to do no matter where or when or who. Yes. It's come on. And it's, it's how did you not know? It, so, and I, when I when I hear that song, I just get this image of like him in like a like being blo his clothes being blown by the wind <laughs> as he's like singing very dramatically and in like a white room. Like that's just the <laughs> vision that a little white comes into mind with Pet Shop Boys. I don't know why. Just behavior is Maybe. like all white except for like them hold the red roses they're holding. True. Yeah. Which is funny because I think I haven't. I, I know I've seen the video for "It's a Sin," but it's been ages. Like my guess is that it would. When I think of Pet Shop Boys' '80s video, I think of opportunities mm -hmm. with the like bad green screen and like video toaster effects and shit. So yeah, I imagine I, that's what the video for "It's a Sin" would have looked like too. But, but all of this is important to inform this album because this album is kind of them distilling all of the gay into one album and just being like look look did you not notice because you should have noticed 
I well, I would not say they got it out of their system by any stretch of the oh, imagination. Oh no, they didn't get it out because of their system. a couple of years later, when they made bilingual, that, oh. that's that's an extraordinarily day, like they just they gayer than this album. They opened the door and be like, you know what, we're done. We're, we we yeah. know exactly who we are, and we're going to talk about it. There will not be another song about West End girls. No, there we will be, be focusing on the East End boys from now on. And. uh dragging Marshall Mathers to absolute filth. Yeah, I, I mean, as as Can You Forgive Her shows, Neil Tennant can write a, a snippy, bitchy song. Oh, yeah. And that's and that's what the, why this album's important, is, like, it just opened a door or, you know, dramatically, like, stage-kicked a door open, and it was like, okay, listen... And that's and then you end it with go west. And you're like <laughs> fuck. You're like oh yeah. Yeah, it's like did, did you get the message? Because let me let me put a bow on it for you with this village people cover <laughs> with a hokey men's choir singing. So in the um the bonus disc uh, for future listening, which is a re-release of this, um this not that yes, uh there was a song called Decadence. On that, so that kind of also ties into a lot of his framing and reference. Uh, that's that decadence song is so good. I'm giving it an honorable mention in this talk just because it's released with this album now, mm-hmm. and listen to it. Like all of the the remixes and B sides, everything around this album, it's a lot like um, gratuitous sax in a way. And I think this album had a heavy hand in influencing gratuitous sax or just this whole period of the Pet Shop Boys. Because lit, because it was like they had an album that that bombed, and then they came back to life, and then you, you you're, the, you're the male brothers going, oh, they did it. What if we do it our way? And then so, which is their way, but not produced nearly as well. Yeah. Well, when do I get to sing my way? And then <laughs> in heaven or hell. Very. Now that I think about it, there that is one to one like. They they were very clearly influenced by this album, which is fine. This album is just makes you feel peppy. You can't <clears> listen to this album and end unhappy. Yeah, I, I I do think it tapers down a little bit toward the end. I think the last few songs preceding Go West are not super great. I like one and one make five. It, the lyrics are a little cloying, but it's yeah. the music's fine. Uh, one in a million. It's it's really similar to um oh fuck what's that song on Time Lord the like there are six of us now I you know Time Lord better than I do <laughs> yeah I can't remember the name of the song off the top of my head which I'm gonna be really embarrassed by because it's you know one of my absolute favorite Momus albums but the the lyrics you know about you know me and you and the ghost of him mm-hmm. there are six of us now you know you know which song I'm talking about yes and and yeah. That song is, is similar, but but yeah, I I overall this is a good as a tight album that doesn't overstay its welcome. It's longer than some of their albums have been. Like it's definitely uh, I believe longer than Please. I mean, probably because it's the nineties and every the all albums got longer in the nineties. <laughs> yeah, which the only Pet Shop Boys album I I own we I know we have the others is. How long ago did that album? Yes, it is. Please. Um, yeah, please was like their what their 
first, second, first or second this album. Their first album. I, I can never remember if Please or Actually is the first album. Okay, this is one track longer than Please. I think Please just feels shorter, which is weird because most of the songs are like four to five minutes long. <laughs> Yeah, and, and, you know, which is relatively restrained for songs that are supposed to be danced to. Yeah. I'm sure there were 12-inch mixes of several of these songs that were much longer. Oh, certainly. I know, like, Opportunities has, like, almost a 10-minute mix out there somewhere, so. Yeah. yeah, which are, you know, unlistenable if you're not, like, in a dance club and you're probably not on, on drugs. drugs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because usually the extension is they just loop... The beat for like three minutes before the song starts. Yep. Um, but uh, yeah, so this album is, is sh- uh, relatively short compared to uh, like. So Go West is five minutes long, and then there is a two minutes of silence, and then a hidden track called Postscript, which I'd never actually listened to. Yeah, I'm not sure. I I used to have the. I might still have it. I don't know. If, I can't see it from here because there's a drum kit in the way. But um, the the orange plastic, the Lego version with the raised bumps on the mm-hmm. CD case. I, I don't know if I still have it, but I swear that that it's American release did not have Go West on it. Yeah. Because that was part of why I. I mean, obviously, I wanted it because it was the Pet Shop Boys, and I love them. But like, actually, no, it has Go West on it. It doesn't have the postscript. I could swear the version I bought did not have Go West on it, and I was really disappointed about that, but I could be misremembering. But yeah, uh, I feel like Go West was only released as a single here originally and not as an album track, but neither here nor there. But, let's see. Apparently, in the UK charts, Go West is one of their highest, remains the one of their highest charting singles. Yeah, it, I mean, it was relatively popular here for... 1993 in america when grunge was still kind of like at the height of its power and then this album uh, with several you know like queer anthony albums that came out around this time was definitely a response to the aids pandemic like it was just like hey we have to be open we have to talk we have to be celebratory we have to we have to talk about things and we have to normalize being ourselves and existing as people and Sometimes you do that with the magnetic fields, and sometimes you do that with a fucking choir, and it's it's fine, and it's... I need to look up what choir that was, because it would be amazing if it was the gay men's chorus. Yeah, I think I always thought it was a sample, because it sounds like it's EQ'd in a way to sound old-timey. So I thought it was, like, like there's it's all mid-range and high-end, it... it I I always kind of assumed it was just a sample from the original, which I don't know that I've ever even listened to the Village People version of that song. Because I am not really the Pet Shop Boys demographic, but <laughs> I love them to death. Well, that's so. fine. <laughs> but yeah, um, this album is really good. And I know it's not your dem- you're not in the demographic, but I am, and it's yeah, it's I, very... I, you are absolutely in the demographic. <laughs> I mean, I just like I love uh, I. This is going to come off as callous, and I'm sorry, but like, I'm not a gay man. I'm I'm not. A, I'm definitely not a fancy gay man. Like, I don't have a, a huge amount of interest in like the history of like gay male culture in the in the '60s and '70s, and especially like from here on out, that kind of became a much bigger 
part of or let's just say for like they're the pet shop boys of the 90s kind of had a lot especially the album bilingual gets into that more and so like i don't have that interest in in that but i do have an interest in people who write great songs and neil Tennant and chris Lowe are you know masterful pop songwriters so they absolutely are and i i see uh queer history is for all of us honestly like understanding these things is like it's not none, none of these abuses and uh ever occurred in a vacuum because uh, gay men were getting it uh trans women were getting it way worse uh trans men didn't exist for most people yeah i uh, mean the, that's like part of the the history of of queer culture is you know the invisibility of of lesbians and, and trans men because they weren't seen as men and therefore non-threatening or whatever yep you know just straight up murdered uh because that's a lot of that going around but that's why albums like this matter because it is an uplifting moment of like discover yourself open the door live life own it and the go west ends this album as it was actually in 92, they performed that at an AIDS charity event and then turned it into a bigger, more, like, uh, just produced piece. And Right, and, and, like, I should clarify, when I say that I'm not that interested, it's not that I don't care about, like, the sacrifices and, and the struggle. It's that, aesthetically, I'm, it's just so not me oh you know that, that, it's fine like bathhouses and and you know bet midler and barry manilow like that <laughs> that just could not be farther from like my personal aesthetic and that's so much of like where things started oh. like where the culture started to form i mean come on like it's not even mine like i i am a man who hates life drinking champagne in a country house like it's <laughs> that's my aesthetic I think there was a lot of overlap between those two aesthetics. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so you're gonna have to throw something out on this one, and I because I like, I mean, I definitely think it's at least top ten adjacent and probably top ten. Yeah, I mean, I was gonna say probably number nine. I would I would personally put it at like number five, but um, yeah. I mean, so personal preference, I I like it more than superstition and kill uncle. Mm -hmm. I, I'm I, trying to think about it as like objectively. I mean, behavior is objectively higher on the list. Like we we, we can both agree to that. Before we even do that episode, it's just going to be an issue. Right. Well, no, it's so I'm I'm having that. So my internal argument is like, yes, I definitely think it's better than superstition. I definitely think it's better than kill on goal. I definitely think it's better than without you. I'm not I'm without you. I'm nothing, although not. As as better, <laughs> mm -hmm. that makes sense. Ten is the the sticking point for me, um, because, again, that album is like so toweringly important. Um. So, like, there is part of me that's like, yeah, it should be at number nine because it's not as important as ten. Um, but it's... But I like it more. <laughs> um, but it's still an important album. Like, like, like I, I, you can't knock... 
the importance of this album. It wasn't like a, of like a runaway success, but it it is a milestone in the in a career the same way that like Gratuitous Sax was a milestone for uh, Sparks. Like it is uniquely tied to that redemption arc and changing the tone. Yeah, um, and I think that the again, like we said with the, about without you, I'm nothing. Like the the open open gayness is going to get you some extra points mm-hmm. from from us on early '90s releases. When like I, I definitely think that like somebody who was born in you know 1990 or later could listen to this and just be like, I don't know what the big fucking deal is. And it's like it's so hard to to explain and without offending someone and and like i'm gonna say this and probably make somebody real unhappy but like think about the battle around trans identity now yeah like it was much closer to that in 1993 to come out as 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 gay oh yeah like uh Um, one of my best friends growing up like his father had died when he was when he was very young uh he his father was by, was by, and when he was diagnosed with AIDS, he just ran away because he didn't want to hurt his mother, and he didn't want to have that you know bring her down by because in the because my friend was born in eighty eighty nine, and and that was on the bubble of you have AIDS, you are a monster person. Yeah, and. He, my friend, grew up and is not is is also gay, but he spent his entire life learning and understanding. And through him, I also got this connection to be like, yeah, we should definitely talk about this. But like, unless you were directly impacted, like people who are my age and younger just do not have the frame of reference for why this shit matters. Right. It, it's so like it, it. And to finish what I was saying, I think it you know probably even even harder because there was just no concept of like being a respectable gay person in, in mainstream, certainly in America. I mean, I imagine it was the same in England, if not worse. Um, so to, to come out as gay in the early nineties was, you know, seen as potentially career killing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you had someone like Katie Lang who, who came out, but she, she wasn't, ever as big as the Pet Shop Boys. No, um, and then the Pet Shop Boys, I mean, by the time that this album came out, they had a a nice amount of royalties built up on just selling to clubs. And if things went bad, they could have just kept selling to clubs. But Right. But I mean to to have been at the heights of West End Girls and It's a Sin and Opportunities and then to be like, hey, guess what? I'm gay. Like that was relatively early in their career. Yeah. Um, so it was the, I mean, it was a pretty huge, huge chance to take. And I mean, I'm just kind of rambling now, but like just saying that like the bravery of that does merit a higher ranking to me, especially when the music is, is this good. Uh, how would you feel putting it at six then? Um, if, if we're going to go that high, I'm just going to say go, go to five okay, because I, I don't see a, the point in putting it above Kill Uncle, but not above Superstition. Um, that, that's fair. I mean, I think it deserves to be up there and it will. It, it's it's changing the landscape a little bit because it gives us more t- points to talk about on the line. 
even though our top 10 is very queer focused at this point. Um, <laughs> it's, it's very British and very, yeah, like we need to find some stuff that is not like erudite British music to go into our top 10 because right now there's one non, non-UK artist in our top five once we put this at number five. Yeah. But hey, I mean, you're getting our bias and... and And it actually, turns out turns out grunge didn't age very well. So actually, no, they're all ta- they're all UK. No, magnetic fields aren't. Oh wait, right, right. Sorry, he just counts, I guess. <laughs> very New York, but somehow also counts. Yeah. Okay, so very by the Pet Shop Boy is going to be our new number five in between the philosophy of Momus and uh, superstition by Susie and the Banshees. So let's get that added to the list. We'll take a break and be back to talk about the screaming trees. And we are back for our second album this week, which is from 1991. It is Uncle Anesthesia by The Screaming Trees. And this one is all on me. Sure, sure <laughs> is. So this, The Screaming Trees were, as far as I can tell, and not counting all the various bands that people in green river were in before green river uh one of basically the first two grunge bands uh green river formed in 1984 and the streaming trees formed in 1985 and everything else started to snowball from there um uh, sound garden might have been around at that point too i don't i think of them as later 80s though um but yeah so the streaming trees are more overtly psychedelic than most of grunge oh yeah no it, it no it's straight up it's like it is but it's psychedelic in the ways the doors did it like it's right. not psychedelic in the way that you'd think of like uh temples is doing psychedelics now right i mean it's jefferson airplane <laughs> psychedelic but, but jefferson airplane is fucking better well yeah no i like jefferson airplane more than this i fucking hate the doors and i like the screaming trees a lot more than i like the doors but i'm gonna um, go ahead and say there's a lot of doors here and it's in it's in his voice mark lanagan definitely sings like jim morrison or he he started to so if you listen to their earliest stuff it, it sounds way more what you expect at you know mid 80s seattle rock band to sound like if mm-hmm. if you have expectations of that it's just more hard rock slightly punky edge uh, almost more like um the replacements or big star or that kind of thing mm-hmm. um the, the the paul westerberg oeuvre um but then they pretty quickly like by their second album even if and especially when which came out in 1987 i mean you can tell by the title it, they they're taking that turn and it's <laughs> it's still more 60s rock like there's some sergeant pepper in there and just general you know what you think of as like the the heavier side of 60s rock you know in in between the beatles and sabbath um, but then they're already taking, starting to take that turn and let like the Jefferson airplane and the, and the doors influences seep in and it would just get more and more so from there. 
um until the release of uncle anesthesia in 91 which is their fifth album i want to say fourth or fifth album so you know by the time Nevermind is about to break big they've already put out five albums um so i mean this record from the cover on down is very obviously like you know exactly what to expect and it delivers exactly that Mm -hmm. like the cover of this album is a a takeoff on alice in wonderland but it's like not really post-apocalyptic alice in wonderland it's like like air pollution warning Alice in Wonderland. <laughs> so if you know, what do you think when you see that album cover? You think this is probably gonna be, you know, kind of psychedelic stoner rock, and that's exactly what it is. Um, but like, go ahead. But like, not as good as as. It's not as good as the originals, of course. Yeah, it's, um, I, don't know. I mean, like I said, I like it better than the Doors. It, it's you know, obviously, it's not as creative as or like groundbreaking as the doors were but i just don't like the doors at all <laughs> i'm sorry anytime anyone <laughs> says anything positive about the doors i just think like i mean look i'm not gonna deny that that like their importance they they clearly were important it's I, just like, i know i used to play the organ and the yeah come on, ba- like come on baby light my fire just like Neat, 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 neat. Like that's all I can hear. That's all I think about when I think about the doors. <laughs> yeah, it, I'm. Just, I don't like their thing. It's their thing is very not for me. I also recognize that Jim Morrison influenced a lot of people, a lot of future rock stars. Oh, regrettably, yes. Um, you know, the Doors had no bass, man. Oh. <laughs> That's what I think about when I think oh. of the Doors is the Bruce McCullough song. <laughs> Who needs a bass when you got those rocking organ solos? Say if you, if I if I ever slip on the show, and I know this sounds sexist, but if I ever say greatest hits albums are for housewives and little girls, it's because I'm quoting the Bruce McCullough Doors song. <laughs> um. So it. Not just, though, in terms of, like, okay, so yeah, it's not as good as Jefferson Airplane and, like, technically not as good as The Doors, even though I'd rather listen to this than The Doors. But put it in the context of us having recently started to go back and talk about grunge and listen to grunge. Oh, it's way more listenable. It's so much better than almost, I mean, this is, like, for me, this is top three grunge bands with Pearl Jam and Nirvana probably oh like, yeah and it's way, way more listenable than both those bands like maybe certain mud honey albums i'm gonna like more than this but like not that much <laughs> like, <laughs> so i mean so i describe this as kind of like it so it's 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 inobtrusive and in, in it's it's rockness it is uh, when we sat down to record i was like it's like it could be the background for any dive bar in any 90s film and like that's just what it is yeah, it, it definitely is. Like, I th- it starts really strong. I, I think the opening track, Beyond the Horizon, is like is the best song on the album. Certainly and... better than Uncle Anesthesia. Sorry, I'm getting the track list pulled up here. Yeah, Beyond This Horizon. Sorry, I got the title wrong. Um, it has a drive to it that that I appreciate. Like, it's one of those rhythms, like the kind of tribal tom rack tom based rhythm um and it just has some energy to it but like 
I mean, that's a big problem that you get with Psych Rock is like it, it could not out <laughs> any minute. Like good Psych Rock is energetic and like, you know, there's a lot of like kind of wanky, but but passionate guitar solos in, in original Psych Rock. Um, and I think that most of this album is on that side of it mm-hmm. and not on the kind of like just noodling until you until you nod out from all the drugs you've taken side of it yeah no there's there's composure here so yeah uh beyond this being like a psych science something like a psychedelic band uh and there's a lot of like echo and the bunny men in it it's it, it's weird it's like it's hitting this weird so when he doesn't sound like jim morrison he sounds like the singer from echo and the bunny men like ian matola yeah not Bruce Matola. Yeah. Matola. <laughs> I didn't know his name, and I was just like... Yeah. I think that's the Echo and the Bunnyman guy. Oh, uh, look it up. I'm pretty sure it is, because... Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Vocals and guitar. Because I bought one of his solo albums, because Liz Fraser did backing vocals on one of the songs. I think it's probably more that Echo and the Bunnyman were also influenced by The Doors. Yes. I mean, they did cover People Are Strange. Yes, um, they did. And there, it shares some influences with uh, the sort of obscure like psych shoegaze band uh flying saucer attack as well um because like i think it's the second song um i think it's the second song bed of roses that sounds a lot like a flying saucer attack track with but instead of being like ultra lo-fi with like a buckley inspired british guy singing it's it's mark lanagan and his like I can't sing as well as Jim Morrison, but I'm sure in a try voice. I, I made a face. I, I'm making so many faces every time you give the doors like a compliment. It's like it's all stuff that I would not compliment the doors. The dude is not as good a singer as Jim Morrison. I'm sorry. Jim Morrison couldn't sing. Yeah, but this guy can't sing even more. This guy can at least hold mm. a tune. He can hold a tune, but he sometimes slides into notes, which you've like heavily complained about on other albums. Yeah, I guess I didn't mind it so much here because it's all just one note. Because <laughs> uh, it's it's really a lot of just like, Aah. yeah. I mean, welcome to grunge. Yeah, which I mean, that could have been me imitating Eddie Vedder too. Like that's <laughs> right, and like depending on the period i might like this guy more than eddie vetter sometimes and you know the thing is his his vocals are just intrusive if that makes and, and i think it's mixed in a way where his singing isn't paramount so it's like the, they were like okay well we're much better at doing the other things which is no the guitar swells and with pearl jam the mix is always too high on eddie vetter's voice <laughs> his voice is too prominent because he's very into his lyrics. Yeah, I I didn't bother looking up any lyrics from this album. You don't I, need to because it's it's a very much a, a tripped out. It look, is, is it kind of vague, like they got stoned and wrote lyrics because the music was more important. Yeah, like what if we did the thing about Alice in Wonderland? Oh yeah, that sounds alright. Yeah, there's the Alice in Wonderland song. It, the whole album is very Alice in Wonderland. Like it's. This album is not as bad as we're making it out to no, be. No, it it's, is completely it, fine. It is, it's it, it totally is. okay. It's vastly better than anything Alice in Chains ever did. I like it more than any Soundgarden album. That um, one Soundgarden album's all right. It, like, I think this band's problem is that they couldn't really write hits, and that's why they're not remembered. Like, Nirvana obviously could write 
insanely catchy songs. This Pearl Jam didn't really write super catchy songs, but they had hooks. Um, Alice in Chains could write a, a really memorable riff, even though I hate most of that band's material. Like, n- <laughs> nobody is ever going to forget the riff for Man in a Box who's ever heard it, you know? Mm. Um, Soundgarden obviously could could write a hit, hit, hit song, like Look at Black Hole Sun. And the only song this band ever wrote that was like that radio friendly was probably Nearly Lost You, which is on the single soundtrack, which was kind of a, a an important uh, compilation album in the mainstreaming of, of grunge and, and Seattle music. Um, and but be- like even then, that song is so like weird and dark and minor key it, it like even though it's catchier than most of their music it, it like it wouldn't have been a huge radio hit and you know it's okay i mean bands gotta have bands that open for them and that's kind of what the screaming trees are they're they're a band that opens for another grunge band they're the band that opens for them and then you think back and you're like man the opening band was kind of better yeah it's like i, I don't i don't really want to go out and buy their album but like yeah, it was all right. And yeah. Then, Even flow. <laughs> like, oh. Okay, they're not better than Pearl Jam, but I was thinking, you know, if they opened for Alice in Chains, then I would have gone home thinking that the opener was the better band. But I would never have gone to, to I need see to go Alice back and Chains, listen to so. Alice in Chains. I haven't listened to them in so long. Oh, God. Get ready, man. Uh, um. <laughs> but yeah, no, this is fine. Like, and, and I was having a hard time getting into it just because this is not music that I listen to. I mean, I like psych rock in some in some doses, but I like stuff that's playful and inventive, not stuff that is like we're noodling in the dark. And this isn't so much noodling in the dark, but it is. It comes. It is noodling in the dark adjacent. Mm-hmm. It is very much weird, confident musicians who can get a little fucked up and make a tune. And, and like, use overuse a wah wah pedal. That's my biggest problem with this band. Is like every so song 90s. has a rhythm guitar that's just. <laughs> I know that that that's, that that sound is very tied to like psychedelia, but like it's so nineties. Like wah wah pedals are like everyone in the nineties had one. I mean, unless you're doing it like we said with the Pet Shop Boys to make something funky, like that still holds up. But yeah, like. Running a, a fuzz pedal and a wah pedal together and just, you know, cranking it through the whole song is just <laughs> like a real 90s thing. Uh, see, I love, I love myself a good tremolo. It's, it's not like tremolo. I know, but I would love, uh, what I'm saying is I prefer the tremolo experience to the wah experience. Uh, yes, for the <laughs> most part. And, and most of the time I, I do as well. Wah pedals are very useful in noise music because you can just make things insanely harsh but yeah. um i mean all of these distor- all these methods of distorting sound have purpose and use it's just sometimes they're overused in ways you're kind of like could we not do the waz today oh no we're doing double waz Ooh. <laughs> yeah fucking hell i'm tired and this album like this album starts really strong and i kind of thought like Wow, is, did, is this like a hidden gem? Or are we gonna find out that like the screaming trees were like secretly kind of awesome? And like, no, it, it wears out its welcome for me by the end. But like, the first few songs are like a good album. <laughs> oh yeah, it just it's like and the... really the it, it ends pretty strong. Like, I think Ocean of Confusion, the like the next to last song is like pretty strong as well. Yeah, that's um, it's just everything in the, middle. in the middle is just. Like none, the only song on the whole album that I don't like is um, 
disappearing the one that has kind of like mariachi horns oh yeah like I, no that... I don't enjoy it or like spaghetti western really more than mariachi like I, I don't like that song um but like everything else on the album is like good to totally okay i i don't think it ever gets great really but like you know i'm not gonna go back and the only streaming tree song like let's be real the only streaming tree song i'll go back and listen to is nearly lost you <laughs> um but like it's fine i i it's way better than some stuff we reviewed. <laughs> oh yeah, no, it's 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 no primitive radio gods. It's it's not bottom of the list. Like it's not gonna go a whole lot higher though. So let's let's just talk about it. This has been a short segment, but Jesus Christ, I was up till two in the morning and and we're recording early <laughs> earlier than we normally do. So at her request. Uh, uh, yeah, at my request. That's what I said. At her, okay. at her request. I thought you were talking about my sister. Who did not request this? No, I because I'm doing something with my sister later. That's why we're recording her. Oh Lord, married, no, married I said, fights on the air. Everybody. My whole thing was just like, my wife has requested that we record this podcast abominably early. <laughs> I had just staggered out of bed, and you're like, ready to record a podcast. I was like, fuck what? So I hastily made toast, and <laughs> here I am. Uh, you know what? I said this wasn't going at the bottom of the list, and it's not going at the very bottom, but like... I think it should go probably between Rocket and Resident Alien. I think it's better than Rocket. Oh, that's fine. <laughs> I, I could take or leave Arrested Development. Yeah, like... Uh, the I don't think it's better than Monster. I, I, I know you would probably rather listen to it than Pretty on the Inside, but I... I Pretty on the Inside is a much more important album. Obviously, I don't like it as much as Manscaped. No, I think it's the realistically it's above Arrested Development. Yeah, I wouldn't mind putting it between Manscaped and three years, five months. Um, like it's in some ways, it's better than Arrested Development by the by the fact that it isn't as ambitious. <laughs> Yeah. Because that Arrested Development album is ambitious, but fails over and over in its ambitions. And this is a psych rock album that knows it's a psych rock album and doesn't try to be anything else. And so, yeah, I can kind of take or leave either side of three years. Like, what what do you think? Uh, I think above it's fine. I think yeah. I think it's 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 overall more like listenable now and. It's competent, just not anything to write home about. It, it's 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 in the realm of of albums on this list that aren't necessarily bad, but they are just not great. If that makes sense. Yeah, it's it's definitely not bad. It's a perfectly fine album. But it's not. It's not really. But it's not memorable outside of Beyond This Horizon. What's the frequency will... Kenneth beats this whole album up? Like it's yeah, yeah. that's. Monster is vastly more memorable, even though I don't love. Mon I mean, I think Monster is one of the the worst REM albums, but it's it's incredibly memorable compared to this. Okay, and just the fact that we fought so much about Manscape, I think, makes it more memorable than this. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Uncle Anesthesia going at number. It'll be a new number thirty five between Manscape by Wire and Three Years, Five Months, and Two Days in the Life of by Arrested Development. 
Okay, so let's uh, go over our new top 10 since we had a new entry there. Um, number 10 now is Eight Arms to Hold You by Veruca Salt. At number 9 is 10 by Pearl Jam. You've almost got it to number 10. <laughs> um, number 8, Without You I'm Nothing by Placebo. Number 7, Kill Uncle by Morrissey. That that one keeps getting closer and closer to where it should actually be on the list. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> um, number 6, Superstition by Susie and the Banshees. Number 5, uh, new number 5, Vary by the Pet Shop Boys. Number four, The Philosophy of Momus by Momus. Uh, number three, Liberation by The Divine Comedy. Number two, Get Lost by The Magnetic Fields. And number one, None Such by XTC. If you'd like to take a look at our entire rankings, you can go to bit.ly slash nr1990s. That's, that's bit.ly slash nr1990s. You can also search Spotify for the official show playlist. And also all the episodes of the podcast are there. So if you want to listen to us on Spotify, on YouTube, I finally got the YouTube channel updated. I had not put the last three episodes on it until this week. Um, life is exhausting, everybody. And, of course, we like it when you subscribe to us if you like the uh, like the show. Yeah, subscribe leave, leave on wherever you get your podcasts. Please, please rank us on iTunes. Yes, that would be nice. Because I would like to... Do the rankings of the on the iTunes? Yeah, I mean, come on, we're, we're we're better than a lot of music podcasts. Are are we? Yeah. Okay. It's us. Come on. Oh. We put none such at number one. Yeah, but yeah. So we're already objectively who else is better. Do that. Some some asshole is gonna put you know, Ten by Pearl Jam is clearly the best album of the nineties. I'm like, oof. Yeah, it's not. It's a real good album though. <laughs> uh, finally, that fucking Oasis album is out of the top ten. Fuck. Oh. I, th- I think that that album got done dirty. Um, it's too too By early way for it of to fucking be existing. out of uh, out of the top ten. It's the best Oasis album. Um, okay, so next week special episode for episode twenty and every twentieth episode going forward. So forty, sixty, etc. Um, we are going to do an obligation special where we rank four albums that we cannot do a whole segment on sort of like the Streaming Treats album from this episode, which we obviously were not prepared to do a whole segment on. <laughs> yeah, we probably should but have time, But this time we know it, though, and uh, so we're we're coming in with four records. Doesn't mean they're bad, though most of the time they will be. Um, sometimes they're also just there. Sometimes they're also just there. Sometimes they're really good albums, but it's kind of like, hey, I really liked this uh, droney ambient thing. It's pretty good. I, uh, what can you say about it? Pretty good. That's anyway. A, it's a fine droney ambient thing, what you have done there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe, maybe I'll, maybe this is how I'll sneak Mersbala onto the list finally. Oh, um, but not this time. For episode 20, uh, well, you go first. What what two, What are your two albums for episode oh, well, 20? Well, I'm the one being obnoxious this week. Uh, I bring in Those Who Do Not by Psychic TV. And uh, what the fuck is this other album called? Hold on. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's called It's Eve 6 by Eve 6. Yeah. Memorable. Yes. We're going to have such a fight about that Psychic TV album because I'm probably going to like it a whole lot. Oh, I mean, I have a feeling you will. It's just, it's... <laughs> There's not a lot, so... I just have, like, I've listened to a fair amount of Throbbing Gristle, and I've listened to some Psychic TV, and I know that, the like, Throbbing Gristle is, like, the progenitor to, like, every fucking noise thing that I like, so, like... Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
It truly, truly is. And I argue that the actually the 80s uh, psychic TV stuff is better. Uh, the 90s stuff went way down an experimental rabbit hole. That it, I mean, it's always been that, but this is... Of the albums, we could... I think probably psychic TV will crop up in many of our, rep- our collective uh, episodes. Not every single one of them, obviously, but I foresee us doing this podcast for a while. Mm-hmm. Um... I will probably do it that way until you listen to them and start picking your own. Because I like five psychic TV songs <laughs> throughout their entire <laughs> discography. All right, so my picks. One of them you've probably never heard of, but I bet you have actually heard a song from it. And I will get to that in our suite. Um, is a band called, i probably pronouncing it wrong, Bruce Glass, Bruce Glass. It means icebreaker, I think. Um, and the album is called Win and Vanitas. It's a it's a album that was released on Skin Draft Records. So if you know Skin Draft, you know what you're getting. If you know Skin Draft, you've probably already heard it. So I don't need to tell you that. <laughs> and the one that's gonna piss off so many people. I want to punch this album in the dick just reading these fucking song titles. The Pod by Ween. Fucking sketches of a winkle. Uh, strap on the jammy pack. Captain Fantasy. Mononucleosis. Which they preview of the pod by Ween. There's a song called Mononucleosis because they got mononucleosis while recording it and and just kept on going. Yeah, no, this album doesn't fucking end. Jesus. It's relatively short. They're like Most of those songs are, it's kind of like Melt Banana. Like The songs are all really short. Pork, ro- roll, egg, and cheese. That's a bad song. I we're am... D- we're gonna get murdered by Ween fans after next week. No, I, I led the charge. I said I was gonna punch us out in the dick, so... I like most of Ween's albums just fine. I do... not We'll get to it. Not a fan of the pod. <laughs> Actually, when we started this, when we started this podcast, uh, Natalie was like, "Yeah, I fucking hate that. Po- I hate this fucking album." And I'm like, "Oh, so we're gonna absolutely do that album?" And she's like, "Ugh, we have to. It's a '90s album." And I think that conversation led entirely to why we're doing these roundup episodes. Yes, <laughs> the pod is actually why we're because I was like, we need to do a Ween album, and I didn't want to just go straight to pure guava. And so I was like, Is there anything about Ween that's not punchable? Pure Dwarf is a good album. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so then I sat down and tried to listen to the pod, and I was like, Oh, I can't do an episode about this. I can't listen to this album enough times to do an episode. I don't know that I can listen to this album one time. And I really and I threw that that Eve Six album on here because I want to talk about that one Eve Six song. You all know what it is. So next week is gonna, I think it's actually going to be a fun episode. I'm just dreading the feedback. <laughs> oh yeah, no, it's it's we just we just threw a bunch of shit into the into the sea. We're like, mm, swim. All right, but yeah, yeah this will all be added to the playlist. So it is now as of, but, as of this so year. yeah. When in Venitas, um, the pod, Eve Six, and what was the name of the Psychic TV album again? Oh, don't put me on a spot like that. Um. Those who do not. Okay. So that's your that's your homework for next week. Have fun with that. Don't live like us, Brendan. <laughs> See this cheese cow? 
And we are the cheese cow. <laughs>